Welcome to the Viva Learn GXP podcast. Listen in to learn from our network of industry experts who provide their unique insights, industry trends, and tips for success. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter and join our community on LinkedIn to receive important updates on all things Learn GXP. Now let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to the Learn GXP podcast. Great to be back. Uh, and in the hot seat this week is Danielle Duran, and she's going to be speaking about enhancing quality culture through effective learning strategies and talking everything about learning and analysis of effectiveness and learning strategies and everything that our customers want to understand. Um, it's one of the most frequently asked questions we have uh, when we talk to prospects and customers in terms of effectiveness of learning. So, Danielle, great to have you here today to speak about this. If you just want to uh, quickly introduce yourself. Sure. So my background is fully uh, learning and development. Learning from uh, the very beginning was with uh, younger people. I was a classroom teacher in middle school, started in seventh grade, and that is, um, I'd say, probably the the hottest seat to to ever sit in. So that that primed me for uh, for my career. And from K twelve education expanded, I moved into nonprofit uh, learning and development and into uh, philanthropy and more data-focused data warehousing, and from there into life sciences, where I found a really comfortable home for myself with my um, science initial background way back from university, and I'm, I'm glad to be back in, uh, in, in this area. Good stuff, good stuff. So we'll kick it off, Danielle, and we'll go through a series of questions, and feel free to share all your learnings over the last number of years in terms of this exciting space, okay? So the first question to kick it off, the effectiveness of training is always, it's always an ongoing debate in life sciences, okay? We hear this a lot. Um, can you explain what effectiveness means and how are health authorities paying attention to this more? Um, and what is your general field in terms of the L&D? Sure, so uh, I think the, the idea of effectiveness in learning has, has shifted over time. I think for a long time, um, people wanted to demonstrate their effectiveness by showing metrics to say that we have completed training on, um, on SOPs and we have done that maybe even on time. But the health authorities are increasingly interested in effective quality systems as a whole. So not just if training activities were completed on time, but was there the right level of collaboration and partnership in designing the procedures for which training needs to be conducted. Um, and then from there, they would look at the, the health of the quality system and looking at, at deviations and CAPAs and how training is included in, um, in those events. But I'd say broadly, uh, the LND as a whole has generally been measured by uh, the Kirkpatrick model or even the Phillips model. And that goes from imagining your smile sheets, as people call them. Um, yeah. So what is the reaction to someone? How effective was the learning? Um, but then people are looking a little bit more closely now at have behaviors really changed as a result of learning? And I think that's where the quality culture piece might be coming in mm -hmm. and pairing with what the health authorities are looking for is our behaviors really changing? But leadership often actually wants to know more about results. So is there a business result? Am I getting some type of even return on my investment? And so it really depends on the audience. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then like, you know, in terms of that, like if we look at, you know, areas of the business, you spoke about CAPAs, 
um, and deviations and those kind of things. So sometimes kappas include a requirement to drive some kind of training or sort of retraining or even training, initial training. So how do we know um, when this will be effective? Like, so what are kind of key things we can look out for if we're going to do some retraining on a kappa? How do we know at the end of this process it has been effective, behaviors have been changed, et cetera? Sure. So I think one thing you always want to look for is if you're retraining, are you going to be doing the exact same thing that you did initially? Yeah. And, and if you are, um, it's probably good to look at, well, what didn't work about that the first time so that you're not doing the exact same thing, um, which we don't expect would lead to a different result. I think the, the important thing is your root cause and really understanding what went wrong and what does need to change. And then how are you going to observe the change itself so that you, you can tell if it had an impact or not? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think, you know, what we found as well, um, like deviations uh, should be kind of looked at in terms of an opportunity to improve as well, you know? So sometimes people shy away from deviations. They don't want deviations to happen and, and that's fair enough. But also there's lots of key learnings from, from deviations. And as you said, root cause analysis in terms of, how we can make that training more effective the next time, you know, in terms of, of preventing those deviations happening and if they recur. So I think that's, that's a good insight as well. Um, and then that leads on to the next question, I guess, in terms of pitfalls. So what are the pitfalls that people could nip in the bud in terms of their learning program? Like what do you see as being an ineffective way to have a learning program from your experience? Sure. I think the, the most important thing, like I said, within that Kappa example is really being clear on where you want to go. So being very objective oriented, understanding the objective that you want to achieve and what you want to see instead of maybe being desires oriented, um, understanding the needs of the business as opposed to the desires of the business or you making sure that you're really conducting your needs analysis very thoroughly um, so that you can look at a big picture and build out what matters most strategically in order to support whether it's a broad business objective or maybe a side objective, but really being clear with what needs to be achieved, what needs to be achieved, and then how you're going to measure that. I think that's the most critical thing when you're setting your foundation for business, um, for a learning strategy. And I think it supports quality culture in that people will be able to see how it connects and they can see their role and they can see the progress that's being made and that in and of itself can be very motivating and can contribute to a stronger quality culture. Gotcha. You know, that makes sense. And I think measuring that is always the, the question that we see a lot or hear a lot even, you know, so how do you measure the effectiveness of training from that perspective? So I don't know, I mean, from your experience today as well, if you roll out a training program that's related to a specific discipline or a specific issue within the organization, how, like, how do you actually tie it back in terms of that training to the actual issue that, that's happened? So, for example, you know, if there was um, a contamination issue in a manufacturing area and you had retraining involved, how can you tie that back then in terms of, of what's happened to clear up those issues that it won't happen again? I know, you know this is probably a, a pretty broad example, but even you know, from your perspective, have you got any kind of comparable examples you could share? Sure, of course. So I think... Um... The difficulty sometimes with uh, approaching this idea of measurement can throw people off or can make people really hesitate to even want to take it on. I mean, it's not something that it has been done a lot. And so it's also very new and that can be sometimes very uncomfortable. So I think it's important, again, to focus on that objective that you want to achieve and imagine what, what would it look like 
for that objective to be achieved. And that's more from that behavior standpoint. And what do you expect people to be doing? What would the indicators be? Um, I think a lot of times people might default to an activity measurement. So how many courses um, were completed or how many people attended the sessions or mm -hmm. did we do the sessions on time, which are important efficiency factors, but don't really measure impact. And so in, until you can really measure what impact you want to have or define, right, just as, as anything else the, in all of our continuous improvement models, you have to start with that define period. But once you've defined the change you want to see, <clears throat> you can design your metrics to align directly with that. So um, there was a project I worked on at a company I worked at before that I think is the most clear example. And um, the business wanted to save money by reducing the time that deviations were taking up. And so there was training that was designed and deployed um, that was really focused on how do we get people to um, take their actions within the deviations quicker and more effectively. And so they, they were able to measure um, an impact to the business saving that money, depending on how much, uh, how many fewer hours were being taken by conducting those deviation related activities. Gotcha. Okay, that's a good, that's a really good example, actually, because you can really uh, measure that in terms of the, the start point and the closeout of those deviations, right? So it correlates then to, directly to cost. That's, that's really good, actually. That's a really good example. Yep. Um, and that's, that uh, was also a really good example of how the continuous improvement team in the business worked with the learning and development team. You know, we talked about partnership, which is very yeah. critical to quality culture. And that I, I credit my continuous improvement colleagues completely with, with that project. Good. Okay. Very good. Good insight. Um, and we discussed a little bit about the pitfalls that um, people can have in terms of the learning program. So a follow-on from that would be, what are some effective methods for addressing these pitfalls that you've seen? Yep. I think, um, I think a lot of it really is just making sure that the, the objectives are clear and that you have outlined measures that you're going to look for, um, that you've really ensured that the leadership at, at all levels understands what they need to look for in order to provide feedback for some of that PDCA um, to, to ensure that you're on the right path. Um, but I think the monitoring over time, sharing that information um, is, is all really critical to ensure that you are not falling into the pitfalls of um, being activity oriented and uh, or not really having a way to monitor. I think the the other thing is, since I've said, you know, gathering data along the way, um, you also want to make sure that I heard a woman in a conference last week say the, the phrase, um, treasure what you measure. And and I love that because sometimes we, we gather data, but we don't necessarily use it. And I think that's another pitfall is what well, we're, we're monitoring, we're doing all of this and we're gathering all this data, but we're not necessarily putting it to use. So I think yeah. making sure that we are using it is also um, very critical. Gotcha. Treasure what you measure. I like that. That sounds. I like, like that. Uh, yeah. Another yeah. podcast we could do in the future. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really good. Um, the next one, the next question I have is a is, is one that I'm really personally interested to hear your opinion on this, and it's something we hear a lot. So we often get asked, "What's the ideal amount of time someone should spend training per week or per month?" Um, what is the right amount of time and do you have a strategy towards that? And before you answer, I guess what we hear a lot is, you know, I hear a lot of companies still doing like annual refresher training and they kind of think sometimes that's enough. And 
I don't know why we, we believe that's enough, right? To have an effective workforce and, you know, have a better quality culture, you need to have an effective training program that's continuous in nature and offers a sufficient amount of training, right? Uh, in line with what regulations say. So just interested in your strategy behind this and, and what's a good cadence in terms of time spent? Sure. So I, I, I love that you brought this up. Um, I think there's, uh, I'll go back again to my, my, um, my soapbox of know, know what you want to achieve um, because you really need to understand what you're, what you're looking for in order to make that decision of how you're going to allocate the time. But I think um, we have this habit, you're right, of, well, we'll do it for this, you know, one hour refresher training once a year, and that'll be good. And I think that's, that type of approach is very activity oriented. It's the, we did a thing and now we're done, as opposed to really getting clear on what you want to accomplish and what you want to learn over time. Um, I also want to mention, you know, I think a lot of the HR programs can have this idea of the 70-20-10 model. Um, and what I like about that is it suggests that 70% of your time um, is, is spent learning through work. And I think that really supports the idea of a strong quality culture where you're always learning and improving because your work enables you to learn and improve over time. And I think that's where the idea of embedding bits of learning over time also supports that model. And I think that Sometimes people think that the the ten percent is the is the most important. Those, you know, very fully dedicated times to um, to learn, where you do a conference or a workshop or you know a course. But I think those those activities can be very much embedded in the day to day, um, and it could even be what are you reading or what are what articles are you. Are you reading what books, what, um, what engaging conversations are you having with your customer groups or your stakeholders and your colleagues? Um, or, you know, what videos and micro learnings are you watching, of course? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, that's, that's something that I think we all need to work on with, uh, with everything we do in terms of education, a good cadence around that. I think, you know, what you said there, 70% of what you earn on the job and then where does the 30% go? So interesting insight there. And I just want to dig into that a little bit further. So what you said about leadership and line managers to talk about the manager's role in driving effective learning strategies. So in your experience, how often are managers involved at this level? and How could they ensure strategic involvement, involvement even as well? Sure. So in that 70-20-10 model, the 20% is for coaching and mentoring. Um, and in a typical 40-hour work week, if anybody works, you know, a typical 40 hours, that'd be eight hours in coaching and mentoring. And I'm not really sure that most managers have time to dedicate and make sure that each of their people is getting that directly from them, right? So it's not necessarily directly from your manager all the time. Um, in manager effectiveness and in, in coaching and mentoring, it's not necessarily something that uh, is consistent. It varies wildly. Uh, it varies wildly even within a company, you know, depending on the market or on the business area. So um it's also probably important to acknowledge that maybe not everybody has seen super effective coaching. So maybe the model for that um, isn't always provided. And I know HR programs really do attempt to show um, leadership training, but I think it's different, especially in our area of the business where doing a root cause on behaviors might be really important and how, how often are people really shown what that looks like. So I think it's important that leaders have access to 
two examples that they have access to data um, that they are brought brought along to really understand and get on board with the criticality of learning as part of that continuous improvement, um, but also their role to ensure that the learning is aligned to the business priorities is also really important in providing that guidance for their people. So um, I don't I don't know if I'm really answering that question, but those no, are the thoughts that I'm having. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a kind of, that's the end of the, the questions in terms of, of what I have in terms of, of everything we spoke about. So just to recap, we went through the effectiveness of training. We talked about kappas and deviations. We also spoke about pitfalls in terms of learning programs, I mean, how to avoid those as well. And we've also talked about leadership and management and how they can play a role as well in terms of effective learning strategies. So to kind of summarize, Danielle, is there any kind of key takeaways overall you'd like to, uh, you know, like, like to talk about before we conclude the podcast in, in terms of this topic in general? Sure. I think the most important thing is that we get very clear on on what we want to achieve and that we do a really really effective job at looking around and ensuring that we're partnering not only within our own area, but across the business and listening to each other to really determine the right priorities and how they line up to the business strategies so that we can work together um, and build that really effective quality culture, that effective learning culture to continuously improve and really um, operate at, at our highest level, because that's what feels the best as well. Got it. Okay. Great stuff. Great stuff. Look, that's brilliant. I really enjoyed this podcast. Um, I can Thank safely you. say we're going to have you on again, Danielle, because this is like you know, touching the surface. There's so many things to discuss in this area. So True. again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk very soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Viva Learn GXP podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. To learn more about our training solutions or sign up for a demo, visit us at learngxp.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us on the next episode of the Viva Learn GXP podcast.